everyone, it's Daniel Elwood, and Robert Paul Johnson is my hetero life mate and co-host, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us at the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel and also at lastnighters.com. This is episode, uh, what is it, 183 of the show. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 183. And tonight, by Twitter poll decree, we're going to slip it into the back end of Pride Month with a review of the Robin Williams-Nathan Lane comedy classic, The Birdcage, with James Jenneman of Blackbird. Is a podcast that uh, I was featured on the previous iteration when it was called The Urban Agorist. Uh, and then he was on with us for High Rise just last year with a very, very good episode about a not very good movie. And uh, dare we uh, tempt the fates again and do it yet another time? We will see as we introduce our guest, the great James Gentleman, Rainbow, Pride Flag, and all. Uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, why don't you tell our audience? where they can find your show and their Paloma Verde CBD oil or CBD whatever's whatever, and which, which promo code to use. Uh, hello boys and girls. It's great to be back to talk to you uh, about this great movie. Um, you can find me at blackbird.substack.com. Um, I don't talk about movies and I'm not nearly as irreverent as we will inevitably be on my show. Uh, this is more of a straight laced thing. Um, Paloma Verde. Oh my God. So Paloma Verde is one of my sponsors and we were talking about that on the Patreon feed, which you should definitely join, get these guys some money, but you can get me some money if you go to Paloma, Paloma Verde CBD.com and use offer code Blackbird to check out and get 25% off your order. So you keep it straight on your show. I pretty much do. Yeah. Like, I mean, Against sometimes, sometimes gender ironic. comes up right. <laughs> every so often. Yeah. Like we were saying, man, like the whole gay thing doesn't really matter anymore. We're no longer like, we're no longer like the the oppressed class or whatever. Like, I mean, we're over we're it. Gay. We're pretty yeah. much over the whole gay thing. But yeah. we are over you right now in the visual, and and that's true. That's not intentional. Him. It's not intentional. Yes. But it's cool. Y'all are topping me. It's fine. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so anyway, this should be a fun fun movie. Uh, this won a Twitter poll. It was going to be this or Network, and I thought Network would have been good because we could talk about you know the the mainstream media and how they're full of shit all the time. But there actually are a few lines related to that in this one. And then um, after the Birdcage won the Twitter poll, uh, one of the stars of Network died. And so I'm like, oh, if only we had done the poll a couple days later, then we would be doing Network right now. But I think this is appropriate. This one, this will work. This will be just, just fine. It'll be a lot of fun. Way to kill the buzz, Daniel. Yeah, I know. I, really? I, we had so much good energy. 40 minutes of pre-show bonus content at lastnarrows.com slash Patreon. We was like zingers all, all across the board. And then I just say something about somebody dying and uh, just fuck it all up. Anyway, you can find the show notes more for this one at lastnarrows.com slash 183. We'll have links to james's podcast and his prior appearance where he's on talking about high rise and we'll even have that paloma verde cbd link and a reminder to use the word blackbird as the promo code for 25 percent off at checkout save yeah. some money uh slipping it into the back end of pride month was a very funny turn of phrase daniel i want to point that out because i'm not sure if everyone caught it you guys have hundreds of thousands of listeners and if there was one who didn't catch that, then uh, then that would be that would be a shame. So. Well, slight slight correction: hundreds, potentially a thousand listeners. <laughs> Not hundreds. It's all of on thousands. where you put the comma. Yes. Yeah. 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 Whatever. You know, maybe maybe after all this uh, uh, monetary uh, expansion, with all the inflation, <laughs> you know, 
Maybe audience we'll get... inflation too, huh? Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that how it works? That's how <laughs> it works. On, come on, President Biden. Uh, he's threatening us with a good time. All right. So speaking of a good time, let's get into this. We usually start with the Google description. So I'm going to add this to the screen. There it is. All right. This can be hard to read, I think. But uh, the birdcage came out in 1996, 1996, 1996, as my high school mascot cheerleaders would say, uh, starring Robin Williams and Nathan Lane and Gene Hackman and Hank Azaria, among others. Got a 7.1 out of 10 on the IMDb, 81% Rod Tomatoes, 4.6 out of 5 on Voodoo, and 89% of Google users like it. In this remake of the classic French farce, La Cache à Folle, I'm saying it in German, kind of, uh, engaged couple Val Goldman, played by Dan Futterman, who we have not heard of since, and Barbara Keeley, Callista Flockhart, shakily introduce their future in-laws, Val's father, Armand, played by Robin Williams, a gay Miami drag club owner, Pretends to be a straight and attempts to hide his relationship with Albert, played by Nathan Lane, his life partner, and the club's flamboyant star attraction. So as to please Barbara's father, controversial Republican Senator Kevin Keeley, played by Gene Hackman, came out my, uh, March 8th, 1996, directed by Mike Nichols, and features the song prominently at the beginning and ending, We Are Family. Robert, your take on the opening. Please. Yes, The Birdcage, starring the great, great Robin Williams. Every time I watch Robin Williams, I, I'm my dad is the exact same age as Robin Williams, and he reminds me of Robin Williams. So it's kind of weird watching him. I, I want to say that this is the most, this role reminds me the most of my dad. And I think, I mean, he, he barely plays a gay guy in this movie. Um, but Apparently he does. He's more like just a, a guy in a relationship with a, a gay guy. More like, I don't know, whatever. He doesn't play it up like Hank Azaria plays it up in the movie. Uh, I think that this movie, you know, movies are time capsules and timing is everything in comedy. And like we talked about in the pre-show, uh, the world is just kind of over. Like be, gay people, like it was a thing and it was like risque and like hilarious for like, oh, look at how gay those people are. Now it's like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I know James thinks this is a fantastic movie, and I think at one point it was. I think it had a real impact, and of course it made a lot of people gay, as as the movies do, right? But I just, watching it in 2021, I it all kind of fell flat for me, like how outrageous people were and how flamboyant some of the characters were. It was like, yeah, been there, done that. I've seen this a million times in media. It it wasn't like particularly outrageous or, you know, is I think it's a movie that kind of plays on the outrageousness of it in order to get a lot of laughs. And I think in 1996, it probably worked really, really well. But mm -hmm. what's the name of the movie that worked really, really well, Robert? Womp. Oh, oh my God. That was really bad. Jeez. But thank you. You could show yourself you know, out. And uh, people listening to this on the audio feed have no idea what just happened. Yeah. No, no they know they've I've trained them that a womp means that I put the logo up. Oh, okay. okay. It's Good. like Pavlov. They now are salivating. Okay. They're salivating for, for more beautiful content. <laughs> That's the right. They also, they also can't see my purple lipstick like somehow disembodying from my lips and going onto my glass every time I take a sip. So maybe you should watch it the is, video plebs. It, that's right. Watch the video. Check it out. It's fantastic. But yeah, anyway. You know, uh, anyway, the movie didn't make me laugh. It didn't. It wasn't outrageous, but it was still like a good, simple story told in an interesting way. So I still liked it. 
I still thought it was a well-made film. I thought that the the characters were all fairly well realized. Uh, it ended strongly with a strong heartfelt moment. Um, you know, it had a good message for the most part, but it it it, it just played. I don't know. It kind of played alien, like like it was almost like a from a it's from a simpler time that was made for a, a more naive audience mm -hmm. that was going to impact them more and be more outrageous. But for me, my jaded, you know, 45 year old, 2021 20, eyeballs, it was more kind of quaint and nah, just, just, just quaint. It was just more of a, just a good story done. Well, told well, um, featuring good acting, but it didn't, it didn't hit me like it probably would have back then. I don't even know if it, this movie really hit me hard back then. Um, because even then I was like, you know, Dan and I grew up being fairly libertarian left socially, like get the, you know, growing up through the eighties the Republicans were really like getting into the bedroom, get the gays, the gays are the big problem. And we were like, yeah, just let them do what they want to do. They're not hurting anybody. Just leave them alone. And so this movie was like, yeah, okay. I don't know. It just, it didn't, I thought it was good. It didn't make me laugh. And that's what I'm going to judge the comedy on. I'll judge the, the, the merits of the story differently. I think that's well strong. Uh, but the, the best character I thought was Nathan Lane. I thought he was, when he was dressed up in drag as the, the Mrs. Lady, I forget her name, Mrs. Whatever. Mrs. Goldman or Coleman. Right. I, I thought that was actually some strong dialogue that held up. And, uh, uh, other than that, uh, maybe the, the, the Senator guy played by, come on, Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, of course, uh, he held up the characters all really held up for the most part, but just the, the outrageousness wasn't there for me. So it didn't, you know, it, I, I think it loses, it loses a lot of the humor when you're not outraged by the participant, the action going on screen. Yeah. I think, I think that this is a time capsule type movie. And I remember seeing it back when it came out, I think I saw it in theaters and I enjoyed the movie more then than I do now looking back because then it was more groundbreaking. It was like cultural, like mm -hmm. sea change, you know? And, and it's one of the things we've talked about this many times where you'll see things introduced into the culture to sort of acclimate them to the greater um, or, you know, wider acceptance. Right. So like this is around the time when we saw, um, the uh, Gunther, the the gay barista in Friends, and we saw Will and Grace um, being on primetime TV, things like that. And I think those go into the um, cultural milieu, stealing James's word here, Thanks. to sort of float these ideas out there into the consciousness, right, and and make them more acceptable. Um, but now that it's you know twenty thirty years later, twenty five years later, I guess um, this isn't edgy anymore. This is mainstream. It's kind of blase. It's kind of whatever. It's tame compared to what the lefties are doing these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This this is very tame. But back, you know, 25 years ago, it was fairly cutting edge. Like you kind of had to be hip to be down with this, to be like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, this is funny. Um, and Robin Williams, of course, is is great. Nathan Lane, <clears throat> I think his uh, performance is really good, though I kept watching this um recently. I'm like, does, does does anyone actually act like that? Like in real life? Like is anyone like would would and James, I'll, I'll defer to you. From a 
gay person's perspective and and if you have a pulse on the you know the community would they view nathan lane's performance as a caricature that is like inappropriate problematic or whatever the you know lefty term du jour is or is he playing like somebody that you know everyone knows like is, is this a normal kind of person uh flamboyant i mean i i've hung out with a ton of gay people and and um i've never encountered somebody as nathan lane portrays yeah. you know yeah no that's a that's that's a good point the um the nathan lane character is definitely an exaggerated caricature but it's not even like an exaggeration of anything um it's so their relationship is that stereotype where like there's the man and the woman and uh, like every, every gay relationship has the male and the female role. Um, it's never been true. Now we know it's not true. Uh, everyone has a gay couple in their life probably. And they know that like more often than not, it's two kind of effeminate people or two kind of masculine people. And that's, you know, I mean, people get along with people like them. Um, that, you know, that said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Nathan Lane's character problematic. I don't think most people would either. Um, Hank Azaria's character has been, has been characterized as problematic by some people. Although uh, I think Agador Spartacus is one of the greatest characters in cinema history. I, I think he's great. Um, and I think a lot of people agree with me. He's just, he's just hilarious. Um, but no, Nathan Lane's character, first of all, he's a drag queen and drag queens are tough. They're not girly. Uh, and not to say that Nathan Lane's character isn't tough, but he's definitely, he's definitely girly and sensitive. And, you know, that's just that, that rubs counter to sort of what we know today about drag queens. Um, that said, I, I don't know. I think this movie was made in reaction to the religious right. Um, so, Maybe yeah, it wasn't like good. a pro, maybe it wasn't like a pro gay movie so much as a anti religious right movie, like in your face religious yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the kind of thing that Robert was talking about earlier. Where we grew up, we were left leaning in the social sense because we saw that it was the Christian conservatives trying to limit speech and limit mm -hmm. um, music and cultural things and whatnot. But yeah. you can also see a shift where it's almost like a planned thing where, you know, things are kind of floated out there and then they become more and more acceptable. And I think to a point, that's a good thing, but then it starts to push boundaries even further. And so now there's um, things that I think are not okay that are kind of being promoted. You know what I mean? And it's really hard to say something without like getting canceled or <laughs> demonetized here, but you know, there, there are things that um, I think were taboo even five years ago that are now being promoted, but they're crimes. You know, like I'm talking about like young kids, um, that kind of thing, you know, like that's in some things I've seen, like that's being like attempted to be normalized. Yeah. And I think that's not, going to break too not, far. You're not talking about drag queen story hour. You're talking about like minor attracted persons or whatever right. being a being a sexual preference as, as just another yeah. sexual orientation right yeah. right though i'm not i'm not a big fan of the drag queen story hour either but sure but that's not a crime like right. uh i 
I'm, I guess I'm of two minds with the drag queen story hour thing. Like I, you know, it's, I don't really believe in like cultural degeneracy. It's, it's, it's just not something I really think about or worry about or necessarily even think is a thing. I think culture changes. I don't think it degenerates or generates. I think it's just change. Um, so that's kind of where I see the drag queen story hour thing. Uh, but that having been said, the idea that little kids are ready to explore gender identity and sexual orientation, maybe even especially sexual orientation, I think that's probably problematic. Um, they're not ready for that. And I, I don't know. I don't know if this is indicative of my growing up to be a gay man or if this is perfectly normal. I've actually, frankly, never talked to straight people about it. But when I was little, like three, four, maybe, um, I used to dress up in my mom's high heels and put on her lipstick and stuff like that. And that to me seemed just fun. Like it wasn't because I was attracted to boys. It was just, you know, it's what I wanted to do. So I did it. It makes sense. I mean, and it's not because I was at drag queen story hour. It was just because that was where my, my, you know, play inclination was at the time. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my kids do dress up all the time and it, you know, they'll role play and it doesn't matter, you know, yeah. if they're boy or girl or whatever. Um, they're just having a good time. My sister was a total tomboy. Uh, she's, you know, she's straight. She's got a husband and, and a kid and everything. But uh, when she was really little, she was what we called back then a tomboy. I don't know if that's still a thing. Um, it would not surprise me if she were coming of age today, if she would have, uh, identified as non-binary or transgender or something like that. Um, yeah. At a very early age and then just kind of outgrown it as happens so often. Yeah. That's the thing that I've, I've kind of noticed and, and I feel like I'm treading dangerous territory here again, but um, we were at a, a park um, a couple of years ago and my kids were trying to get up and play on this zip line thing. And they were taking turns with this other person. And this other person was definitely a girl. And probably 13, 14 years old. And I said, oh, you got to, you know, let her go first. And then you guys take turns and whatever. And this person said to me, oh, I'm not a girl. Hmm. But they were presenting, I, well, how do I say this right? Like, they, they were trying to present that they were not a girl, but they appeared to be a girl, very much so. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and... So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I want to respect what this person is saying, but I, you know, I slipped a couple of times, you know, I'm like, well, okay. So then, then I started thinking like, is this because this is now cool? You know, like this is the thing to identify as something because now you get notoriety or popularity or, or whatever, you know, because like when you're in your formative years, um, you're you seek malleable, attention. seek attention, uh, things that are trends and fads, they affect you. And, and, um, there's hormones blasting all over the place, you know, and, and people are very, um, seeking out for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, identity and, and, attention and fitting in and all of these things. So it sort of goes to your, the point you were saying earlier about your sister. Like if she was growing up now, she might think those things for a time, but then you said outgrow them. And I just wonder how much like just, just being an adolescent and being, and, and, and going through those phases, 
um, is maybe exaggerated or exacerbated yeah. or in, encouraged by this, um, you know, popularity or this notoriety kind of aspect. Yeah. Like we were talking on the pre-show, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was bisexual. That was just the thing. Like girls were making out with girls, uh, boys, not so much making out with boys, but you know, I mean, it was not uncommon to see two ostensibly straight guys grinding on each other in a club. Um, and you know, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for that sort of exploration. Um, typically people will outgrow it or maybe outgrow it is the wrong word. They will, you know, evolve in their self-discovery or whatever. Uh, to the point where they realize that, yeah, that the, the sex that I was assigned at birth um, matches my actual psychological gender and I'm a straight person and I'm going to get married and have kids and live a quote unquote normal life. Um, for me, getting back to the movie, um, I thought this came out when I was in fifth grade, but it actually came out when I was in seventh grade. I was, you know, I was a kid. I wasn't tiny, but I was a kid uh, right on the cusp of adolescence. And I think by that time I kind of knew that I was different from the other boys, so to speak. Um, and the trailers for this movie came out and I, I was desperate to see it. I wanted to see it so bad. Um, it was rated R so I couldn't go see it on my own. I told my uncle who was an evangelical Christian uh, that I wanted to see it. And his initial reaction was, Oh, that disgusts me. <laughs> and so of course that, that drove me a little bit deeper into the closet. Um, but Eventually, did it, also, did it also make you want to see it more? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what impact it had on me that way. Okay. I, I just know whatever I, I tell my kids. No, they want it all the more. Yeah. I think I was. I, I mean, I was definitely taken aback. I didn't want to talk to my uncle about it anymore, for sure. But when it came out, um, so my dad was a he. He was a like executive for a restaurant company, and so every month, one of my siblings or I we get to go on like a date night with my parents. We would go to one of the restaurants that the company he worked for owned. Um, and that was usually it. But that month I got to go to the restaurant. We dressed real nice. We went to the restaurant and then we went and saw the birdcage. Uh, we never went to movies when I was a kid. Um, if we did, it was like the dollar theater where, you know, it was like a, the second run movies and stuff. Um, so we went to see this movie and it was so affirming it was, it was just great. It was, it was a really good experience to see that with my parents, especially, um, and not to have them, they were Republicans, they were conservatives. Uh, I wouldn't consider them like on the religious right. Um, we were, you know, we were Catholic. My dad always described himself as socially liberal and fiscally conservative. So like the Gary Johnson version of libertarian, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, he listened to Rush Limbaugh and all that stuff. I mean, he was a nineties conservative, um, but they weren't like, they weren't disgusted by it or repulsed or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was, a, it was a great movie. We thought it was hilarious. Um, I didn't, I didn't come out obviously for another several years, but, uh, you know, it, it had a, it had a good, it had a good impact on my formation personally. Um, I don't think a movie like this would be made today. I don't think you're going to have a, so like we were saying, the, the, the gay thing is no longer a big deal. Um, it's now kind of moved on to transgender or non-binary but you wouldn't have a movie like this made today because it's no longer subversive. Um, the cultural powers that be are the left. Mm -hmm. A movie like this would need to be like a right-wing movie, but you could never make that, obviously. 
uh, I don't know what a right wing version of this would be other than maybe like a, an, you know, well, I don't know. Curtis Yarvin mentions Moldbug. He talks about the kid who, you know, is, he's a white kid. He's 14 years old. He goes to his guidance counselor and his guidance counselor tells him that, you know, well, because you're white, you're privileged and you're, you know, if you hold these views, then you're a Nazi. And the kid says, well, fuck it. I'm a Nazi then. And he just becomes a Nazi. Uh, and that's like how a 14 year old becomes a Nazi is just in complete reaction to being told that he's a Nazi. Wait, are, and, we, are we doing American history X? No, we're not. That's the thing. He doesn't do curb stomps and stuff. He just wants to be, he just wants to be subversive. He wants to be countercultural. And to me, that's the kind of movie that if Hollywood were not run by left wingers would be made today. Um, it wouldn't do well. It would not be as successful as the birdcage, which made like $128 million or something like that, which, you know, back then was a shit ton of money. Um, Before all the inflation. Thanks, yeah. Fed. Thanks, Fed. <laughs> Audience inflation, though. That's a good thing. We got to... Yes. Yeah, grow those numbers. Pump that. <laughs> those are rookie numbers. Got to pump them up. Um, so I don't know. I'm I I don't want to I don't want to tread too deep into like right wing waters because I'm not right wing at all. Uh, other than the fact that you know I'm libertarian, so I guess some people would consider that inherently right wing. Um, but it's a subversive movie. It's a it's a countercultural movie, and the counterculture today is on the right. It just is. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Rotten had a quote about that. He's like. Never thought I'd see the day when like the conservative culture is is considered the punk culture now. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm butchering the quote, of course, because that's what I do. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really kind of wild, like that the progressive left narrative is sort of mainstream now, mm -hmm. and it <laughs> preaches tolerance and acceptance and science and debating ideas and being open minded. Yeah. But it's anything but any of those things. It's so bizarre. Uh, Jeff Deist from the Mises Institute was on a podcast recently, and I can't remember which podcast it was. Um, but he said, so back, back up a little bit, Vin Armani, who for some reason, he, his name has to come up on every single libertarian podcast ever, but he has been talking about for the last year, this new age of magic um, where, you know, we're, we're no longer, we're no longer worried about reason and logic and that sort of thing. Jeff Deist put it really succinctly and put it in a way that I think libertarians can understand a little bit better than magic, which doesn't, it's not a thing. Um, he said that logic has been replaced by rhetoric. These two, like these two legs on the three, the three legged stool of the trivium um, have, have swapped places. We're no longer worried about making an argument or like forming a rational opinion. All we're care all we care about is that that power that comes from having the right soundbite or having the right uh, like words to say. The 140 characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially that. Especially it's that. Age, it's the age of the bullies. It's yep. it, you can't win an argument online, but you can bully someone into silence. So you can yep. just bully somebody, call them a bigot, homophobe, racist, sexist, whatever, and then they'll shut up, and then you'll be like, "Hey, I won." To, and and kind of a, a parallel to that is knowledge has been replaced by belief. I mean, and that and that goes across the political spectrum. It's it's not just it's not just the trust the science people who have turned science into like a literal religion with their their mass talismans and their vaccine sacraments uh, and their Fauci priests and deities. But if you just look at the way QAnon operates, I mean, that the, on the right they've got this thing where Trump is is a is a is a messiah and he's orange you know, Jesus. 
Yeah, it's going to abandon the profit. It's 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 nuts. It's absolutely insane. Um, how the last year or maybe five years, I don't really know, um, has turned us from like an enlightenment or kind of like a modern slash postmodern society into this weird caricature of all of those things. Yeah. I wonder if it just exposed something that was there the whole time or if it's driving it, yeah. you know, I think social media has a big thing to do with it, but also back when um, mainstream media was controllable, you know, where, where a few entities could, you know, you had three or four channels. So this is like kind of before mm -hmm. cable and they were like one or two major newspapers in each city. It wasn't so hard to control the narrative. And then with the explosion of the internet or even, you know, cable TV, you could kind of have an expansion of, of thought and expression. Yeah. And now it's like a tamping down of it again. And I don't know if you get that genie back in that bottle all that well. I mean, I'm sort of being proven wrong because 98% of people seem to be going along with all this stuff. But, um, for those that can see, it seems like they're overplaying their hand. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're, if, if anyone cares about logic or consistency, they'll see the farce for what it is, but they're also so inured matrix style that they're, they're not willing to see it. And they're also getting bullied anytime they stick their head up. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's hard to fight against. Right. Because they keep you kind of um, isolated in a way where you don't realize how many more people agree with you, you know, because it's the very vocal minority. I saw some stat about like some odd 90% of tweets are just done by, you know, 10% of the accounts and it's predominantly Democrat, you know, leaning like by a wide margin, but they're very prominent, very um, amplified, you know, vocally. And so it appears that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bellwether or barometer of thought in the culture when in the reality, it's a very small cadre of the milieu that are, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm abusing your word here. Yeah, you I haven't that. even used it once since right we switched over to this yeah. feed. Jesus. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? It's like, it, it has a, an outsized appearance of um, acceptance, but, but it's just, it's all smoke and mirrors, right? It's yeah. not, it's not real, but, but they've effectively like siphoned off people enough to where they're separated enough to where they can be individually bullied without being aware of how many more people agree with them. You get, uh, am I, am I saying that right? Am I, I'm trying to make yeah. a point here. Right. Yeah. Rings true to me. I think, um, if you look, if you take like just a huge bird's eye view of human history, um, we, we have like a series of eras or maybe epochs, epics, however you pronounce that, um, <clears throat> that start out with like a propositional way of seeing the world that, and they always end with an impositional way of, of like enforcing that worldview. Um, so like, for instance, the like pre-Christian era started out with like nature worshipers and, you know, let's, let's all get along. Yeah. There's wars here and there. Um, but they're tribal. They're not, they're not massive world wars. And that ends with the Roman empire, which has just taken over the world and has imposed Roman values on everyone. But the Roman empire is now replaced with this Christian milieu or, or uh, era where, you know, Christianity is, yeah, it's a little bit countercultural. It's a little bit subversive. Um, 
but it rings true to a lot of people. And so, you know, they, they propose this method of um, redeeming yourself with the deity and, and, you know, it, it just, it feels good to a lot of people. And so Christianity becomes the ascendant way of seeing the world. And I'm speaking obviously just of Western civilization. Um, but I think probably in the East, you can probably see this as well with their, with their dynasties and things like that. Um, so Christianity becomes like the ascendant thing in say like the fourth century AD or so. And by the time you get to the Protestant Reformation and, and the, the maybe century or so after that, Christianity becomes not a propositional thing, but an impositional thing where they're now burning people at the stake and doing witch hunts and things like that. So something new has to take this place because this tyranny can't last. And so you get the enlightenment and the modern age where people are, are valuing reason over faith. They're, they're valuing science and economics and, and, and all of this. And this is, this is something that, you know, not only like Adam Smith, but also Karl Marx, it's a very materialistic way of seeing, of seeing society in the world. Um, so maybe that's kind of the, the another oscillation is that you between like a spiritual and a material way of seeing things and interacting with the world. Um, so you, you usher in this modern age where reason supplants faith as the, the, the pr predominant way of seeing the world. And then um, that ends with like the dropping of the nuclear bomb where science and reason um, become this, this dis world destroying thing um, and then, you know, you also get kind of caricatures of it. Like Ayn Rand, for instance, is just like the caricature of a modern philosopher. Like if you compare Kant and Ayn Rand, um, she sounds a little bit like him, but she also sounds insane. So the, so you you go from the modern era to the postmodern era, which is postmodernism is a lot less materialist and a lot more esoteric and individualist and um even though the postmodernists are, are, are caricatured as being collectivists, they're really not. Um, my, my personal experience and my personal identity um, supersede anything that you believe about norms and mores and things like that. Um, but now we're seeing the postmodern become the impositional force where they are the drivers of culture and the, 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 the punitive, um, like, the, the, the enforcers of these morals and values that drive society. And so they are now going to have to be replaced by something else. And I don't know if it's going to be like a, like another materialist age or maybe another spiritual age. The oscillation might not match the, the turning of the eras. Um, but like this thing is going to have to come crashing and burning. And I hope it happens soon because it's fucking scary. Really? I mean, I hope that we don't have, nuclear bombs and gulags and stuff like that, that, that ended the modern era. The other thing is they get, sh they get shorter and shorter. So like the, the, the like pre-Christian era was, you know, a thousand years or so. The Christian era was only a few hundred. The modern era was only a couple hundred. The postmodern is only a few decades. If, yeah. if I'm right. Acceleration. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Why did I even say that? What were we talking about before? And what does this have to do with the birdcage? What the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know. So let, let's talk about the movie a little bit. Um, so it has been 25 years. It, I think it did have a cultural impact uh, at the time, though I think you watch it again today and it's like not as impactful. So in, in some ways, at least for me, it's like not as good. And Robert, you mentioned you're open that you thought that this was a interesting story told well. 
I disagree. I felt like I was left hanging at the end of this movie. Yeah. I needed a happy ending. Dude. I needed something to happen. Because all they do is is escort the guy out of the club to We Are Family, which is like, you know, overplayed. They get married. What else do you want? That's at the credits, post-credits scene. I mean, that's like, yeah. you know. But um, th- there, there are some things that are sort of alluded to that I, must have been cut from the story. Like one of the cameramen notices that it's the senator leaving, but nothing comes of that. And then they end on this joke, which is not a terrible joke. He's like, meet me on the you know corner of 20th and whatever in 20 minutes. And he's like, not for a million dollars. I mean, that, that was like the, the one thing I was laughing about other than the Hank Azaria character, which I agree. He was hilarious in this. Uh, but I find it surprising that, that he would walk back like playing characters on The Simpsons. Did, did he, did he know, express man. regret for this? Thing with a poo? Yeah. God. It's he just, bizarre. Well, I mean, that just speaks to who the cultural powers are. I mean, you know, back then, I mean, we do say that the religious right had a lot of power back then, but the, they, they were on the, they were on their downslope, I guess. They did, though. I mean, this was right around the time that Newt Gingrich took over the, over Congress. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. But you're right. I think that I think that uh, it did leave us hanging a little bit. I would love to have seen like the the redemption arc of the of the senator, uh, Gene Hackman's character. Um yeah, it's sort of assumed with the wedding happening, you know, it's it's assumed that he becomes okay with it, but we don't really yeah. see that happen. You want Gene Hackman to have like an arc? You want the old <laughs> stodgy senator to all of a sudden embrace his, yeah. his new gay family? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, w- I want something there. Because they, yeah. they I mean, he, he's also just a caricature. It was one evening. It's a, it's a movie about one day. Mm-hmm. It's, it really it's a is. Lot, it's a lot to ask of any character to have a complete arc in a single day. I mean, I know that it happens in movies and Hollywood accelerates things unrealistically, but I thought it told a fairly realistic, albeit quaint, story of these stodgy, waspy people, you know, blue bloods getting caught up in this south beach lifestyle and going you know fish out of water style thing uh you know it it doesn't play as hard as it did but it's still authentic for i mean authentic but (laughs) for a story idea you know like fish out of water story there's a million of them and they work because people can identify with it in theory or you can imagine what it would be like if you were a stodgy blue blood and you were presented with, oh, this is your new family now. You could be like, oh, well, wouldn't that be a shock to the system? Waka waka. Mm. <laughs> you know. You should be a screenwriter, Robert. I should be. Man, <laughs> I'd be so good. I don't know. I, I found Gene Hackman's character to be a caricature of like all the terrible attributes of conservatives, you know? And, yeah. and the hypocrisy of them, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, president of this like moral society thing, yet he's caught with an underage prostitute. And, and of course, they make a point of and they're black. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I, know. I know. Is this so? I don't know. I mean, think of all the Republican politicians who have been caught either doing sexually 
like bad things. Right. But I don't think it's isolated to them. I just think that it's no. more noticed. It's definitely called out more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what's Gary Hart? I don't know though, man, like Democrat politicians have affairs. Republican co- politicians like are in weird, kinky gay relationships in airports and shit. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> what, well, remind what, me, what who was the that? guy running for governor in uh, Florida? I don't know. Well, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't know that story. What's the deal. Oh, you don't know uh, Andrew Gillum. Uh, uh-uh. Oh, all right. Yeah. He was running against DeSantis and he was, um, you know, Democrat progressive so type. He like cocaine and hookers, gay hookers, right? Yeah. He was found in a hotel room, passed out after um, ingesting a bunch of meth or something oh. along those lines with a, with a gay prostitute. I mean, whatever, you know, I don't care, but um you know, but but maybe this is this is the point, James, that it wasn't as scandalous as if it had been a Republican doing it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's just it's, people tune into the hypocrisy, right? I mean, the, the lefties, Democrats are supposedly the the party of liberal value, you know, whatever. And then the Republicans are supposedly the conservatives that are supposed to be against it. But yet secretly they're getting it on. It's a little bit more scandalous, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that because because it is a little bit more hypocritical for them because they would speak against it versus the other side would be more embracing of of that. And so, okay, yeah, if they're doing it, eh, whatever, you know. Right. (laughs) I I don't know. It's all very quaint these days. It does. It just feels it feels a little bit dated. Like I have I have a nostalgic connection to this movie. Um so that's why I liked it. Although I did show it to my partner who my, so my boyfriend is significantly younger than I am. Um, there's not a generation gap, but there's definitely like an age gap. We're both, we're like on the, on the extremes of the millennial spectrum, I guess. Uh, and he liked it, which is surprising. Cause he doesn't like any of my nineties movies. Hmm. Um, that, I mean, I have terrible taste in movies. You've seen high rise. So <laughs> take, take that with a grain of salt, but he really liked uh, the birdcage. Um, and he didn't like it because it's a gay movie either. He doesn't like he, like that's not a that's not a selling point for him any more than it is for me. Um, so I think it does. You know, I mean, it 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 aged well, if a little bit. Uh, but it couldn't have outraged him. Like, oh god, you know, no. like, but nothing, like, out, nothing, nothing outrages him. He's he's even less sensitive to that kind of thing than I am. Right. So this wouldn't have been any kind of time capsule. It wouldn't have been any kind of, I mean, I think a lot of the laughs come from the Hank Azaria character being outrageously gay where, and the Nathan Lane character being outrageously gay. Whereas it is so old hat watching it in 2021 that it's like cute, you know, it is cute. It's cute. And like, I don't know. I th- for some reason I think the Hank Azaria character has aged the best. Like they're the 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 Robin Williams Nathan Lane relationship has not aged well because we all like I said earlier we all know gay people now. Everybody does. Like you know that that's not a realistic gay relationship. That's a weird movie relationship. But like everybody knows a gay person who acts like Agador Spartacus. Um, he's single. He's outrageously flamboyant. Um, Guatemalan. You know, and yeah, you're intimidated by his Guatemalanness. <laughs> I think I have a I have a friend who is Colombian who 
uh, acts a little bit like that, except he's a little more posh and fashion forward rather than rather than housekeeperish. He's the person who hires the housekeeper, not not acts as the housekeeper. Okay, so you think he's actually more true to an actual person that really exists than the Nathan Lane character is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think the Nathan Lane character is realistic at all because like I said earlier, he's a drag queen and that's not how drag queens when they're not in drag act. That's painting with a really broad brush. Um, obviously I'm generalizing, but <sighs> drag queens are... I mean, shit, drag queens are the people who put on the, the Stonewall riots. They're not girly. They're not They're not clutching their pearls, like literally in this movie. These are the people who, the reason that we have pride is because of them. Like, they're the people who stood up to the police uh, and who took the fall for, you know, to, to normalize being gay. Yeah, I couldn't I, see I the mean, main character doing that. <laughs> no, but I have, it's true, I mean, in my experience, every drag queen I've ever seen on TV, in the movies, whatever, it's always like a very, in like the news or interviewing some real drag queen person. Yeah. It's always some kind of macho, tough guy. Yeah. It's woman. macho, but not butch. Right. It's like um, tough, I mean, hell, feminine person. Look at RuPaul when RuPaul, when RuPaul is confronted for being not politically correct enough. I mean, he doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit what you think about what he has to say. He's, he's going to say it. He's going to be himself. He's going to express his opinions. And he's, he's, as far as I'm concerned, RuPaul's better than Kanye when it comes to, you know, representing a, a like minority class um, and being authentic to himself. Hmm. I don't think RuPaul's I, I'm not, age I'm not, today. Yeah. I'm not familiar with no. RuPaul. I mean, you know who RuPaul is, though. I know right? who RuPaul is. I'm just not okay. familiar with his yeah, uh, so, political opinions so or whatever. RuPaul is not woke. I don't know about political opinions, but RuPaul is un-PC and anti-PC. And, like, a huge inspiration to, I think, a lot of people who want to be, want to remain subversive and, and countercultural. Okay, so what is the counterculture, then, on the left? Because there's some question there about there being whether they seem to be the dominant culture, but yet they still feel like they're the victim class or they're being oppressed. So they're still the counterculture. So is there a legitimate counterculture on the left? No. Well, OK, there are leftists like. I don't know. Jimmy Dore is the one who's always like trotted out as the 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 non PC leftist. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's fine, but he's pretty, he's pretty milk toast and, and vanilla. Um, excuse me. I burped. That's really professional. Um, <laughs> uh, in our sphere, in our milieu, like Magnus Panvidia, for instance, is a, I don't know how he identifies sexually. I think he's bi. Um, he's a mutualist, uh, which is sort of an offshoot of left anarchism. Um, he's real active in the Boogaloo movement. Um, but also on quote bottom unity where the you know libertarian left and libertarian right are coming together. I guess I consider that left-wing countercultural. But in the in the like authoritarian left, the people who are woke and PC and so forth, um, there isn't a counterculture. They they are the culture. They're the drivers of everything. And you just I mean, you just have to you just have to look at I mean the fact that the fact that I'm using a Snapchat filter that 
is just painting me in rainbows tells you where the culture is at. I mean, if we were in a right wing culture, you know, I would have the, the crucifix or something on me or, or, or whatever. Like it's yeah, that, that filter would not exist. Yeah. Yeah. There is no left wing counterculture. There are a handful of people who truly believe that the Republican party is still dominated by the religious right. There are many more people who use the religious right of the eighties and nineties as ammunition to try to convince there would be allies that they're up against this, this religious right that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but for yeah, the most I, part, I think of the religious right as being like Babylon B stuff. Like they've got a sense of humor about it. Yeah. They, they, they are subversive. And they don't care how you live your life as long yeah, as you're not imposing your stuff on them. Right. They're very much not impositional. When I was, so I was a lefty before, like I was a, I was a huge Howard Deaton fan uh, back in 2004. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I was, so, but back then the whole, the, and this is only 15 yeah. years ago. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, like 15 years ago or so, the left wing like catchphrase was you don't legislate morality. Um and that was while the religious right was like in their in their sort of descent, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't legislate morality until you're until you're the predominant drivers of culture. And, and and in that case, you know, if you don't legislate morality, then you use your propaganda arm of the state, Twitter, Facebook, the yeah. media, et cetera. Holy pulpit to yeah. bash people over the head with your morality. Yeah. And that's where um, I guess we can get a little bit more political again, but uh, uh, I'm firmly of the opinion that Twitter and Facebook and um, Goldman Sachs and all these companies that are just super, super woke. um, And I know woke is a terrible word. Like uh, it's a word that right-wingers use to describe left-wingers. It's not a word that left-wingers use to describe themselves. So we're trying to come up with a different word for, for, for that phenomenon. But right now it's just going to be woke. Um, These, these entities, these organizations that a lot of libertarians call private companies so they can do whatever the hell they want. Like they're not, they're arms of the state. They're arms of the the powers that be. In a lot of cases, they are the powers that be. I mean, in the case of the banks, especially, I mean, the banks and the military industrial complex uh, are the drivers of politics. It's not like it's only the formal bureaucracies and, and, you know, legislatures and the branches of government that are the state. It's all of these drivers of culture that we have to resist as, you know, libertarians and as counterculturalists, if we want to be countercultural. Not for the yeah. sake of being countercultural, but for the sake of human freedom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's probably inevitable though. I mean, if my, if my, if my little framework of the propositional to impositional, uh, oscillation of eras is correct. And I think it is, um, we're, we're probably in for a little bit more hurting before we, before it gets better. Yeah. I think, uh, Jeff Dice calls it the, the imposers and the imposed upon. Uh, I think that was a speech that he gave maybe a You're year right. ago. Yeah. That was a really good one. Um, but Michael Malice, he keeps talking about a white pill and yeah. I keep like thinking, okay, where is it, buddy? Where is it? And he's talking about, you know, the, the lack of faith in mainstream reporting and, and the skepticism that's kind of mm-hmm. returning or seemingly returning as they get caught sort of 
manipulating information mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, censoring dissenting opinions and things like that, though he goes back to that outscaled like appearance of power where those who are aware of it aren't aware of others who are aware of it, you know? So it still seems like we're vastly outnumbered. I, I've lamented many times on this show in the past year that it's worse off than I ever imagined. Like we are so far more outnumbered than I ever thought, you know? But then there are some kind, sometimes like glimmers of hope. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll have to read, um, I've been listening to a lot of, you know, Michael Malice's interviews recently, cause he's on like a promotional thing for the anarchist mm-hmm. handbook. Um, which is really just a compilation of writings by anarchist thought, you know, yeah. uh, across many, um, you know, different kind of perspectives. But the fact that I guess one of the white pills is the fact that it's, um, that a book like that, that even introduces these ideas into the, the culture is popular is is a white pill in and of itself it's sort of like how this movie the birdcage was introduced into the culture to help advance mm-hmm. sort of normalization or acceptance of uh you know gay people or, or just being gay and that being okay not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> that that episode <coughs> excuse me that episode of seinfeld was also formative not quite as formative as the birdcage but it was it was great not that there's anything wrong with that yeah and um, then and then will of grace came out right around this time too I didn't watch Will and Grace until 2013 or so. My my ex had every season on DVD, so we all, we always watched it. But uh, it was, that's not really my cup of tea. I don't think. Okay, all right. Well, we should Honestly, get back to the movie. But but I do, I do have a question for you. You mentioned your partner, not offended by much, if anything. Are they woke? Are they progressive? Are they because it seems as if people like that are offended by anything. So I'm just curious, like, or have you influenced his thought like politically or um, culturally, like as being now the subversive, like, you know, freedom oriented type person. We, so um, I always joke that he's a better anarchist than I am um, because not only like he doesn't vote, not because he has like some political principle that tells him not to vote, but just because like mathematically your vote doesn't count. So what's the point? Um, he just doesn't have positions on things like that. That said, he has, he like, he has lots of trans and non-binary friends. So he's, he's very progressive when it comes to gender and sexual things like that. Um, it's just that he doesn't see it through like a political lens. Um, th- a couple of things that he is, I don't want to, I don't want to like tell tales out of school, but a couple of things that he is like passionate about are um, like corporate hegemony. And, and um, he doesn't like the fact that when you work for a company, that company basically has free reign over at least 40 hours, if not more every week of your life. Um, we also got into a, a little bit of a, of a, of a, not, not argument, but a disagreement about hiring a housekeeper. Um, I don't, I don't Does like cleaning. Think his area comes to mind now. Yeah. Well, I don't like cleaning the house. He doesn't like cleaning the house. Uh, so I thought, why don't we, why don't we hire a housekeeper? 
And the idea of having someone like doing your just menial, dirty, gross work to him is incredibly offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like, it's just one step above slavery. But to me, it's like, you know, this person chose to go into that line of work. So, you know, you might as well, I mean, it's either me who's a nice person or, you know, some crazy old lady who's going to be just complete horrible old lady to her. I almost said a C word. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, this person wants to, wants to be a maid. That's what they, that's what they signed up for. But for him, it's like, no, 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 she doesn't want to be a maid. She needs the money. Like, (laughs) and you know, I I guess he's got a point. You, you know, it's not, I don't work for, I don't work for a living because I want a job. I work for a living because I want money. Um, and if my only skill was cleaning houses, I'm terrible at cleaning houses. So don't ever hire me to be your housekeeper. But if it was, then, you know, maybe I'd hate that job too. Not that I hate my job. If my, if any of my coworkers are listening, but you know, I mean, he loves it. I I, I know. I happen to know a housemaid person and this person really enjoys cleaning houses. It's very therapeutic. It's, it's very, uh, she's like almost, uh, OCD about a messy space. Yeah. So, she goes into a messy space, makes it clean. It's very therapeutic. So I know people like on that. On top of the money, they, they also just enjoy it. Yeah. And specialize like in that. it and are good at it. Yeah. That will not convince my partner. Which, Fair you enough. know, I mean, it's fine. Those we, people do exist. Yeah. We bought a Roomba. That's the big thing is getting the dog hair off the floor. We've got, we got a Roomba. Right. It's going to be, it's gonna be you, fine. Did you see our Matrix series? Now you're enslaving a Roomba. Well, that's all right. It's uh, it's part of the matrix. I'll do whatever I can, man. It's going to rise up and overthrow you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, I know, but apparently Roomba, um, I did, I did all the consumer reports stuff when I was like researching robot vacuums, apparently Roomba or its parent company, I think it's iRobot, uh, is pretty good on data privacy and, and all that, which I didn't think that that was even a potential issue when it came to robot vacuums, but it is, hmm. I guess. So like the robot reports what it's, cleaning or picking up or there's a little camera i have no idea dude uh maybe it has something to do with transmitting your wi-fi i don't know yeah no that was a big deal Mm -hmm. because like some amazon devices were about to like share wi-fi interconnectedness (sighs) or something yes it was like amazon neighborhood or something i and i i'm a complete hypocrite i've got a i've got a house full of uh Alexa or something. devices. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, that triggered her. Oh god, her Uh-oh. light just came on. Alexa, what time is it? I'm afraid she, I can't I, do that, Hal. I know. What, it's just what, where, what's your current location, Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I have a house full of these things, but uh, I definitely opted out of that creepy. I think it like networks all of the Ring cameras in your on your block or something like that to help the cops catch criminals ostensibly, but really it's just surveillance. It's a Batman. Freaking Dark Knight movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. That's precisely what it is. Wow. Oh. Yeah, we had we had some moral quandaries about that. That was a question that you raised in that episode way back when. Dark mm. Knight episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Man, it's coming true through your Roomba <laughs> and your Alexa. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we've been barely talking about this movie, and we're already out of time. So we're gonna need to get into. Last notes, final summary review. Give it how many, however many um, mambas out of, or what's the, what's Buffon, the final song? wigs? How about a bouffant wig? Yeah, bouffant wigs. Okay, out of 10. So, any, anyone have any final notes on this one? 
I took zero notes throughout the entire movie, so I have no final notes either. Okay. All right. James, any notes or so any, there's, anything that's spontaneously come up? Yeah, there's a few things. So I saw it when I was a kid. I saw it again. I've seen it several times. I've seen, and I've just, re- just recently watched it, obviously. Um, a few things that stand out. They raised their son to be weird. Um, like, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but like when whenever their son walks into their house, he like gropes their statue's balls, uh, which oh. is a little strange. I don't. I don't think that's realistic. I don't know any gay couples with, with kids. I don't think that's realistic. Um, they also, when they, when the son first, like his very first scene, uh, they made it look like he and Robin Williams were having an affair mm-hmm. um, because like they kissed and it was just, it was just a little creepy. I thought that they treated the offspring relationship just kind of weird. And I don't think that's realistic. Maybe it made sense in 1990, whatever, but um it doesn't, it doesn't ring true now. Other than that, I think it's a great movie. Uh, I think everybody should see it more than seeing this movie though. If in your area, the, I don't know if it's a musical or just a stage play, but if Lacage a fall is touring in your area, get tickets and go see it. It is the funniest damn play I've ever seen in my life. There's a drag queen who performs like during scene changes and stuff. It is just so good. So highly recommend that it's expensive, but go anyway. Uh, and I give it, what are we doing? Are we doing bird cages? Buffon wigs? Sure, man. Sure, man. Buffon wigs out of five? Out of 10. Out of 10. Okay. I give it, I don't know. I like nine and a half. It's such a good movie, but it's nostalgic. That's the thing. I would also give, I would give empire records like eight out of 10 records. And that's a terrible movie. So like, just, I have bad taste in, in media. That's just what it is. Sorry. Okay. All right. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna grade you on a curve. I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So so that's interesting. I did not notice the sun grasping balls uh, on the statues at all. Um, I, I might yeah. have to actually have to like go back and look because that's that's interesting that they would have something like that that's noticeable enough that that you would call it out. Um, I did think that the um, the scene of of like and they're telling them the story. They're trying to make you think that Robin Williams is in fact having an affair is because that's what Nathan Lane is worried about. And right. Robin Williams is like acting all cagey, you know, and trying to sneak up there. And then it's sort of like this, aha kind of reveal. No, that's actually his son. But I, I can see them doing that for, you know, storytelling purposes to mm-hmm. kind of give a little, you know, twist or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's once you kind of are aware of it, you're like, yeah, that was not so great. But did anybody else feel bad for the kid? Because he had a terrible mom that didn't wasn't at all interested in his life or know anything about him. Nathan Lane was a terror was a terrific mom. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the biological yes, the biological mom barely knew, didn't even barely know yeah. his name, right? Yeah. Didn't even know his name. In one scene she called him like a different name or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, kind of seemed to be like an agreement, maybe. Like, like clearly she didn't want to be a mom. Yeah. And look him raise the kid but still wouldn't you wouldn't you have some interest in your offspring she is she is the caricature of a what rush limbo would have called a feminazi um i mean even like look how she opened the champagne bottle she puts it between her legs like a dick and like squeezes out the cork and it explodes like she's coming i mean she's just she's just another caricature of a 90s feminist uh doesn't care about her kids because she's a career woman it's you know i i don't i don't know i think she's a very hollow shallow character i 
Yeah, she's played over the top. I, 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 I find it hard for anybody. I know that there are plenty of sperm donors out there that don't know their kids, whatever. <laughs> but anybody who's given birth, and I know there are people, women that give up their kids for adoption and kind of want to forget their past or whatever, but it didn't seem like that was the case here. And it didn't, I mean, they're both living basically in the same town, right? The kid, yeah. wasn't the kid still like living in town or not? Or he was yeah. visiting from somewhere else? I don't well, know. He was, well, he was in he college. He was going to school in New Jersey. Okay. But still, I, I feel like, uh, anyway, I know she's a caricature, like you said, but it seemed like she was unnecessarily a terrible mom. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or not a mom, really. Right. But um, womb donor. Yeah. And, and they, they did make it <laughs> yeah. sound like like she knew that Ron Williams's character was gay when she had sex with him and sort yeah, of like, they were in, they were in like a play together. And so, uh, you know, he wanted to he wanted to experience it once, lose his gold star, as we say. Right. See what it's all about, you know, experiment, you know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give mine out of gold <laughs> stars. Ah, good, good. Yes. All right, so we're we're changing from Buffon Wings wigs to gold stars. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give mine, and then we'll go to Robert. So the Birdcage. I enjoyed this movie way back when when it came out. When I saw it in the theaters back in 1996, I think that it was more of a um, cultural kind of icon, and and it was introducing ideas into the culture, and it was more subversive. And watching it now, it's not, it doesn't have that same oomph factor to it. I still enjoy the performances. I, I love Robin Williams as an actor. Uh, Nathan Lane's performance, though, over the top is, is still well done. Hank Azaria is probably my favorite character in this, of course. Gene Hackman does a fine job playing the caricature of a right-wing conservative hypocrite. Um, but story-wise, I don't know what really gets resolved in this. It, it does sort of allude to some things, maybe left on the cutting room floor as far as like the narrative structure of the story. So I'm going to give it just five gold stars out of 10. Um, it's, it's a movie that, you know, I'll remember uh, it stood out. Unlike uh, a movie we were talking about in the pre-show bonus content that starred Paul Rudd and LARPing. Um, it's a pretty forgettable movie though. I'd probably enjoy watching that movie more than I enjoyed watching birdcage, which is sort of this weird, you know, juxtaposition. But anyway, Five gold stars from me, and Robert will go to you. All right. So, is the Birdcage worth watching in 2021? Uh, like Daniel said, it's it's conquered territory. This is the movie that it's like watching. Like nobody watches. Guess who's coming to dinner anymore? It's 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 conquered territory. Nobody cares about the scandalousness of a girl bringing home a black man for dinner. I mean, maybe that exists somewhere in the world but it doesn't exist in Hollywood in 2021. That's not where the cultural Melu zeitgeist exists anymore. So nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about the scandalousness of, of being gay or having a gay person in your family or marrying into a gay family or whatever. It would just be, yeah, that's, those are my gay uncles, whatever. It doesn't matter. So you're right. It's not, it's not pushing any boundaries because it's already been done and there and the culture has moved on. Uh, but I, I still found that the story for a movie that takes place in a day to be quite beginning, middle and an end. And there's a nice climax at the end with the, the dinner scene. Uh, all the characters really play out and you really feel who they are. You've got the the senator's wife who has her moments. I'm like every character is there for a reason. It's got something to do. Um, is is kind of cookie cutter as the 
the the son and the daughter are who you know they're Romeo and Juliet and the families just aren't gonna get together and agree with each other on anything but uh, there's enough here that it was enjoyable even know even seeing it before and even it not being you know any kind of real cultural relevant it was it's still strong like strong performances well written for the most part even if it didn't make me laugh uh, I, I I still have to recommend it in 2021 I, I think it's worth watching um, I'm gonna give this seven uh, Gene Hackman in a Gene Hackman's in a dress out of ten uh, it's not great looking but worth watching Gene Hackman in a platinum blonde wig let's That's not right. forget that's right in a in a Marilyn Monroe maybe outfit I don't know yeah. what was that that was he was very pretty oh very very coming <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah they could have done the the blow, flowy dress over the event that would have been funny oh that would have been a good scene yeah. he goes out yeah stands on the the grate yeah yeah <laughs> all right well hey James this has been a lot of fun and uh, I hope that we weren't too um forward in our conversation but uh Oh, like honey. Talked... No. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we talked about the movie a little. So, you know, that, yeah. that's what we do here a little bit. But uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. And we'd love to have you back on again uh, in the near future. Um, we had talked about maybe doing network at some point. Uh, well, I, that was in the running uh, for tonight. It was. And this one went out because it's the back end of Pride Month. And uh, but anyway, I wanted to slip it in there and slip it in there. I got I got more jokes coming up. Don't don't you worry. <laughs> But uh, anyway, where can people find uh, your show? And uh, of course, they can find the links on our show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 183. Yeah, so subscribe to my show and whatever written content I do put out at blackbird.substack.com. Uh, I'm toying with the idea of buying a domain for that just because that's kind of a long thing, but blackbird.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter at JamesLJ. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's probably about the, about the good place for people to find me at this point. All right. Sounds good. We will also have links to your palomaverde.cbd.com and uh, use the code blackbird for 25% off at checkout. And we will also have a link to your previous appearance when you're talking about high rise uh, with us, which is a movie that Robert did not like, unlike this one, which he did like. So Mikey likes it. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed. All right. This is a, this is a movie of, uh, this is an example and libertarians should take notice of of, of a way to forward your ideas. It's a way to, you don't, you don't make it a big deal that, that Robin Williams is gay, but you just have him be a nice guy. And he also happens to be gay. I mean, I guess part of the movie is the point is that he's gay, but for him, he's not like fighting for acceptance about who he is. He's just who he is. And he doesn't give a shit. And he's like, yeah, I don't care if some dumb Senator accepts me for being who I am or not. So you have a cool character who's libertarian and he does cool shit and it's just, he just happens to be libertarian. Make movies like that. That'd be great. And we'll review it and hopefully it'll be good. Better than the, uh, uh, what was it? The, uh, Alice shrugged. Progressively worse. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we have not done those. Um, don't you might, right. you might like inspire someone to watch them <laughs> <laughs> out of morbid curiosity. All right, are you guys ready for the terrible joke? Yeah. Hear me. All right, next week, 
We're going to go from ass to mouth as we go from the birdcage, talking about back into Pride Month, to Jaws as we introduce Snobby Bobby back again to do a 4th of July episode. He has he was on last year for the 4th of July as we did the Patriot, the Mel Gibson classic. And this year we're going to be doing Jaws with him. So I am shoehorning in a terrible, terrible joke that I'm sure people don't even understand at this point. And <laughs> I think that's what makes it even funnier for me. So Jaws next week, everyone, with Snobby Bobby of the Not For Everyone podcast. One of my favorite podcasts, I might add. Also Available. Blackbird. Oh, yeah. Available for podcasts are sold. Are we going to get into the, the, the critique of capitalism, probably, thing? I think that we should, yes. I'm going to watch that okay. again. And there's also uh, some... By what's his name? Slova... Zizek. Zizek, that's right. Yes, and, and that was something that uh, Pete Quinones recommended that we check out. So um, mm. I think that will play a role in our, conversa- in our conversation. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Can't disagree. All right. Well, uh, James, any final words for our audience? And then we will uh, get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is some bonus content. We're going to get even more risque. Uh, oh, more, more risque? Patreon. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to drop a C-bomb as my final word, but I'll keep that for the more risque part. <laughs> All right. You guys got to pay up for that C-bomb. <laughs> all right well hey this has been a lot of fun we'll see you guys all next week with snobby bobby as we talk about jaws for the independence day fourth of july and with that we'll say good night from last night everyone peace out